Dear Carrie and dear Sam, thank you so much for agreeing to speak with me about MUVA, a program dedicated to the economic empowerment of women in Mozambique that was originally funded by UK Aid and now has a life of its own. Let me start by introducing the two of you very briefly. Kerry Sylvester is Monitoring, Evaluation and Learning Coordinator for MUVA, as well as the Director of the Mozambican NGO, ANSA. Sam Sharp is a Senior Research Officer in Politics and Governance at ODI, and he also happens to be a dear colleague of mine with whom I have worked on a lot of different projects and initiatives related to TWP and adaptive management. MUVA is an initiative that is dedicated to economic empowerment of women in Mozambique, as I have said, and it was set up from the start as a program intended to be flexible, adaptive, and focused on learning so as to navigate political dynamics more effectively. Sam, Kerry, and another colleague of theirs, Niels Riemenscheiner, I hope I have pronounced his name correctly, mm -hmm. uh, from OPM, have just published a paper reflecting on the MUVA experience. And I wanted to speak with, with both Sam and Kerry about the kinds of lessons that emerge from the program uh, in terms of operationalizing TWP. So Kerry, if I may start with you, can you tell us a little bit about MUVA and what it does, and also what you think some of its most significant accomplishments or achievements have been to date? Okay, thank you very much, Alina, and um, hi to Sam. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, I think you gave a very good introduction of what MUVA is. So it is um, a social incub incubator, which is now um, an independent, not-for-profit organization working in Mozambique. Um, so we're now trying to um, uh, carry on the work that we started under the FCDO-funded program. So I think, as you also mentioned, it's sort of in Mover's DNA to test new approaches um, to tackling this really sticky problem of, um, of women being excluded from accessing decent economic opportunities. So, yeah, so we, um, over the length of time that we've been working on this, we've tested um, more or less 17 different approaches. Um, some of them had not done so well, <laughs> um, which was part of the testing process. And some of them, uh, we really feel very proud that uh, we've worked towards um, something that's scalable. Uh, for example, one of the programs that we're now currently working with the government on is um, uh, working on triple what what we call triple win um, social protection programs, where uh, working through public works programs we can also uh, uh, empower young young people, um, give work experience to young people, meaningful work experience to young people, uh, provide them with mentoring during a year. Um, and then they find their own feet in terms of either um, employment, returning to full-time education, or um, or working on their own um, on on their own enterprises that they've they've thought about over that time. So this is something that's scalable. Uh, it's now part of the national program for social protection in Mozambique, and they've asked us as Mover to actually uh, do some more testing of different. Um, different models using the same approach. So I think we're very proud of, of that as, um, as one of our achievements. Um, I think the other thing that we um, also have really pushed and very proud about uh, is that uh, when we first began this journey, there was a lot of work done on um, soft skills, um, 
understanding that soft skills were important for employment and also understanding that people who came from deprived backgrounds, this was often something that was lacking. So I think working with that in Mozambique, getting this into the mainstream discussion and discourse about accessing uh, jobs in Mozambique or in uh, generally is something that we also feel that we've um, pushed uh, the cursor a little bit um, a little bit forward on the on accepting that these soft skills are extremely important and that it is possible mm. to teach um, these soft skills so I think these are, are two of the main things that I would say two of the main strands that we've worked on, on uh, during these years and that we feel is actually becoming uh, integrated into the discourse in Mozambique. Wow, that sounds amazing, Kerry. Thank you so much for that. I'm intrigued about what uh, those different, I think you mentioned 17 attempts at, at different things. Uh, maybe we can discuss that um, in a minute. But let me turn to Sam briefly um, and ask you, Sam, what might be innovative, innovative about MUVA and how um, and the way that the program is intended to work? Thanks, Alina. Hi, Kerry. So, yeah, as, as Kerry mentioned, MUVA was established with a specific mandate to kind of test new ideas. And that, that's quite innovative in itself, right? A, a program established primarily to learn rather than to implement a predetermined set of projects. But what, what I think is particularly interesting is how Mover approaches this learning. So in my experience, adaptive programs have mostly attempted to embed ongoing learning through some form of reflective practice. So I mean, what I mean by this is, giving space to those who are involved in the day-to-day implementation to reflect on what's what's working more well, what's working less well, how contextual or political changes might influence programming. And in, in practice, this is usually done through workshops held periodically, say every three or six months. And Mover holds these reflection works, workshops, but what makes Mover stand out from other adaptive programs is its ability to collect extensive data in real time which can then inform this reflective practice and I think that's particularly unusual in in adaptive programs I've looked at and it kind of does this through synchronizing the data collection and analysis with the structure for implementing and adapting projects so as Kerry touched on Mover runs its projects through cycles interventions are piloted for one cycle if they show promise are then refined and tested again over over two further cycles these cycles build up to a reflection workshop at the end where you you know discuss what what's working and what what needs to be iterated and the mail team then develops data collection tools that can provide useful insights as to what is working within the time frame of, of this project cycle and they and this this kind of just in time data relies on a variety of, of different data sources. So you have participant voice, qualitative interviews or focus groups held with those who participate in Mover projects, but also with, with the implementing staff. And even if broader evaluative data isn't available, this qualitative kind of reflections done in a more structured way can be very, very useful and has, has seemed to provide kind of useful insights Regardless, there's also often monitoring data that can be built in, for example, attendance rates, uh, the profile data of participants in projects, and that can be used to identify gaps, raise questions, you know, why are we having more dropouts from this group rather than this group and so on. And then where possible, this is kind of supplemented with the more resource intensive data, such as selection surveys, baseline surveys, endline evaluations and, and so on. 
And I, I think the, the approach is underpinned by not aiming to get a kind of quantitative, statistically significant, evaluative approach for every single project, every cycle, but instead to try and build as, as good as possible evidence picture from the sources that are available given time and, and resource constraints. So, so altogether, I think it kind of accumulates in a quite atypically evidence-led uh, adaptive management approach. Thanks for that, Sam. That sounds actually really interesting, um, the use of data and also, if I understand correctly, lots of feedback loops to, to discuss with different stakeholders how things are working um, and what needs to shift and why. So that sounds really, um, really rather interesting. Carrie, let me move back to you. Um, and I'm very, uh, again, uh, very curious about how MoveAt as a program was enabled to try in efforts that may not have worked. So I'm trying to sort of get at the question of what do you think enabled MUVA to work in, in a more open and adaptive way and to take those kinds of risks? Um, and if also you can share some of the constraining factors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay, yes, I think that it's, it's, it's very interesting to hear um, Sam talking about it because it's exactly, you know, what we aim to do in the, in, in, with the work. Um, and, that what, and, and what was interesting listening to that, it sort of brings me back to thinking that what we've actually created also is a real curiosity um, for information from all of the people who participate, including the partners who are implementing, so that the space, the safe space in which you can truly discuss how things were working, um, actually sort of recreates itself. And there is less sort of worry about, um, well, if we say that something didn't go right, then, uh, you know, this can be put down as a failure on our part. And, um, uh, that um, this can be put down as a failure um, uh, of, of the project itself. And so I think creating that safe space by putting evidence in and, and creating interest around data was actually quite a fascinating experience for me. But sort of going back to your, your question, I'm sorry. Um, so I think that, yeah, one of the things that really enabled it was um, the the we were actually tasked by FCDO to innovate in this space and to adopt this model. And the way in which this was structured um, uh, sort of almost administratively is, is, I think, quite important. So it was a milestones contract with a flexible log frame. We also had a risk portfolio, which allowed, which wasn't a risk portfolio as many projects are that say, you're not allowed to take any risks and you have to have mitigating strategies against every risk. But that yes, within this portfolio, there was um, an understanding that we would take some more risky um, ventures um, uh, if they were justified, if they were relevant, if they passed by all of the other criteria that we set up um, in the in the project um, approval process, um, but there was an understanding that there was uh, that we were able to risk. And the other thing um, I think that was really important um, was that there was also an agreement right from the beginning about the investment in terms of money and resources and time in this learning system that we then set up. 
Um, and what this did was allowed a basis, all of these factors allowed this basis for mutual accountability. Because I think there's always a concern with these sorts of adaptive programs. Well, where is the accountability? How can you um, how can you be accountable for the money that you're spending? Um, but the system that we set up allowed for this trust to be built up and therefore this mutual, mutual accountability. Um, I think what we're facing now is a challenge of recreating this enabling environment as a national NGO. Um, and I think that this is going, this is our next, um, our next set of uh, challenges with a much wider range of donors. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think that those were particularly the enabling factors that allowed us to set, set off on this process to create this learning organisation. And I think um, that we now have momentum as an organisation and we've embedded this structured learning and therefore we're able to talk about it with a lot of um, conviction whereas I can say that seven years ago we were creating mm. this together with FD FCDO and they trusted us to, 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 to create this system. Yeah, thank you so much. That's a really important point around trust and also mutual accountability and different levels of accountability, I suppose. Can I ask you one question? Because now that, that as you said, MUVA is moving in a different direction to become more of a national NGO and also to have a bigger set of donors. Are you working with those donors to try to socialize them into the way that MUVA um, has been working um, all this time? And what kind of reception are you are you getting from them? Yes, this is exactly the sort of challenge that we're having because I think that um, you know, all of us who work in this world know that normally uh, monitoring and evaluation is a little 10% line at the bottom of the, of the page that somebody hopes somebody will fill in some data at some point. Um, so yes, so we have, we work very hard in the budgeting and also the narrative of what we do to present this as uh, between a 25 and 30% um, part of the, of, of the whole uh, offer, you know, the, of, of what we're proposing to do um yeah and we've constructed a narrative around it um for some it's more difficult to um uh, for some it's more difficult to understand or to accept and so there are much more rigid ways um of uh of having log frames of uh, of doing this, we're working. We're trying to work around this, and trying to complement some of the more flexible funding with some of the more rigid funding. Um, but we are trying to socialise it. And up until now, we have six new um, uh, donors at the moment, uh, which is a logistical nightmare to manage. But um, for all of them, we've managed to. Um, discuss um, having reflections involved in this, having the just-in-time information, pushing the learning agenda much more than they would normally um, uh, normally possibly want to want to to fund. So we are doing it, but we understand that ev every single time we have a proposal that this is going to be a um, that, that this is going to be something we have to not not fight over but something that we have to persuade people is is the reason that they would like to give us some money is that because we do have this attention to learning and an understanding of the complexity of the situation which means we have to invest in this um in this learning agenda but it, it's it, it is a, a work in progress <laughs> as you can imagine yeah uh, we've now been yeah. 
We've now been two years we've been working uh, towards this, uh, one of which was a heavy COVID year. So um, oh, yeah. it was um, had its own challenges. This is the first year, um, uh, uh, 2022, that we're actually working on this um, solely as an independent Mozambican incubator mm. um, oh. and with these six new fun- funding streams that we have. Well, this is a fascinating journey that you're that you're uh, undertaking, um, and we very much look forward to seeing how that evolves. Um, Sam, you and I have worked together on a few different uh, programs and initiatives. One of them being Learn Adapt, where this issue of trust and accountability and um, accountability for results versus accountability for learning was one big part of that. What lessons emerge from the MOVE experience um, um, as you looked at it uh, that might be of broader relevance um, beyond MOVE? Yeah, thanks, Lena. Um, I mean, I think first off, it's, it's worth noting there are certain circumstances that make MOVE perhaps particularly conducive to this kind of approach. You know, as we've discussed, it was set up explicitly to learn, support a funder, a well-resourced mail team, and this kind of the the piloting approach of of test an initiative refine it test it again that won't be applicable i don't think to all development programs in in all contexts but that being said and this is what we kind of try to do in the paper a little is if you step back abstract a little i think there are some generalizable lessons or, or principles for for adaptive programs more generally the first one of those perhaps is around the importance of prioritizing actionable learning so any program, regardless of its mail budget, will have a decision about where to focus those resources. And what's noticeable about Mover is really dedicating its resources primarily to a local team focused on collecting data that informs implementation, as opposed, for example, to primarily funding external staff to conduct large-scale or longer-term evaluations, or focusing primarily on collecting metrics for donor reporting frameworks, which might have limited relevance for actually improving ongoing implementation and from some of the conversations i had with with different mover staff it's is noticeable and carrie spoken to this how there seems to be a kind of real culture of generating learning getting information that can inform ongoing operational decisions and this includes not being overly obsessed with traditional definitions of rigor learning that's relevant timely actionable is all far more more important i guess and I mean, overall, I think the kind of culture and incentives are more important to achieving this than one specific set of processes that, that every program should follow. And th- this relates to a second point, which is around the utility of seeing implementers as the end users of monitoring and evaluation data and, and investing time in building their ownership. So Mover starts its projects by asking the staff that will implement them what are their motivations? What are their objectives for working on this project? And tries and ties those motivations into a coherent narrative and theory of change. And then from that theory of change, that's where the data collection tools uh, come from or, or to inform that, that theory of change. And building that ownership, I think, as lots of staff that we spoke to said how important that was of really kind of generating some ownership over the mail process, seeing the mail staff as, as useful accompaniments to improving the effectiveness or the impact of a project, not just some kind of soft police on the side that come in to tell you when when you've done something wrong. Um, yeah, and perhaps finally, we, we've touched on this a little bit, but I think Mover also illustrates 
the importance of rethinking the upward accountability structures, rethinking accountability to donors. And as, as you mentioned, Alina, we've talked about this a lot in the Learn Adapt project and seen it in other programs. So Mover uses its process of, of testing, collecting data and having these reflection sessions. It uses that not just to iterate the projects, but also to explain the reasoning behind adaptations to the funder, provide evidence about why this adaptation has been made, why it was necessary and so on. And there's a lot of literature that looks about looks at how reporting on very strict metrics, strict performance metrics, can create perverse incentives. It can encourage gaming, and you, you won't ever completely avoid that issue, I don't think. But at least this kind of more narrative approach to accountability, focused on justifying decisions, allows you to combine information that is that is useful both to ongoing programming while still providing some reassurance to funders. Um, yeah, and, and then just finally, and I think. It's important to be clear that this adaptive management doesn't mean being completely vague about everything. You know, there can be a kind of perception that it's just an excuse for making it up as you go along. And I think that's that's not true at all. It's possible to be very specific at the start about the kinds of processes you would use. You don't want to be specific about exactly what you're going to do, but you can emphasize upfront how decisions to adapt will be taken, what the source of data will be, what will count as good enough evidence, how this will be documented, how often it will be reviewed, what action will be taken and so on. So there's ways of being providing assurance and specificity about the process without actually having to tie yourself down in specific projects. And I, I think Mover does that very well. Yeah, I mean, just, just on that point, if I could just jump in, I mean, we actually, for each of the projects, we have something that we call the Med, the MEL note, which is a guideline which talks about what the uh, theory of changes and the monitoring and evaluation system that's attached to that. So this uh, MEL note or MEL guideline is a, is a document that documents exactly what, what Sam just said. So there's nothing sort of vague about it. It can change and it can be added to and it's a working document, um, but there's quite a rigorous process of a back and forth forth with the operations staff, with the implementing staff about what it is they actually want to measure, what it is we can measure, um, and then we set that out in a document. So um, there's a clarity for if for people who want, both for the implementers, um, the participants themselves also, and the um, upward accountability um, people to, to know what it is we're going to measure. Um, and then we do that honestly and report, report that back honestly. So, um, yeah, so I think that that's also important. It's not actually vague. We have quite a lot of um, um, information on exactly what it is that we're doing. And we also document why decisions were taken after the reflections. So after reflections, the reflections are not decision-making spaces. They're areas where people can um, bring out all of their um, doubts or their um, or their triumphs or their successes. Um, and the decision is then made outside of that room. Um, and there's a documentation of how those decisions are then um, put into practice uh, to improve. I call it structured learning to improve the, um, the actual implementing of the projects. And the outcomes, hopefully, um, which is where we all want to be. We want what we all want to do is improve the results for the people that we're working with. So, um, and I think that's important to state as well. So, thank you so much, both. This has been a very enriching conversation, and we are actually um, quite excited to see how MUVA continues to evolve um, as a, as a. a different uh, kind of um, initiative that, that he started out 
as, mm-hmm. um, and now as a as a full fledged um, NGO in Mozambique. So thank you so much, and congratulations on the paper. And um, till next time, take care. Thank you very much. Thank you.